Well, it's good to be in worship together this morning, and if this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, uh, my name is Randy. I'm privileged to be the preaching minister and senior minister here at the church, um, and uh, we're in a series of messages this month, uh, in the month of June, called Love That Lasts, and it's, uh, it's a marriage series, and so we're going to be uh, talking about marriage this week, and, and then we'll wrap the series up next week. And this entire weekend has been a marriage enrichment weekend, um, Friday night and Sunday. Uh, Saturday morning, and then for some of us, Saturday afternoon, uh, we uh, had, uh, had, this room was full, uh, Friday night and Saturday, uh, with uh, the uh, DNA uh, uh, for relationships with couples, and uh, so just really, really rich, rich um, content to help us have Christ-centered marriages, and so, um, so we've been digging this weekend in our hearts and in our marriages. And um, I kind of feel like in my soul how the ground felt yesterday at about one o'clock <laughs> when all that rain came. And um, so my crusty self has kind of been churned about. And so been thinking about my marriage and uh, the things that I'm learning uh, as a husband and as a father, and uh, even at 51 years of age, I'm learning still more about, uh, about myself, about Sarah, um, and we've been married 29 years, and there's still more to learn. There's still more to learn, and so, so, so this morning's message feels a lot like I just need to preach to myself, and so if you want to listen in, be my guest. All right. I've got this phone. And it's a cool phone. It's a smartphone. It's got a nifty screen on it. I can even get online. And, um, you know, if I wanted to, I could get online while someone else was preaching and do a lot of stuff. And, but, but I don't do that. I just silence it. But one of the nifty things on my phone is I got this app, and I don't even know how I got it, but I just got it. It gives me directions from work to my house. I mean, it's really cool. I mean, it, it, I can hold this phone, and my phone tells me exactly where I am on the face of this earth. And then it will tell me exactly how to get home. Now, I've lived at my home for 20 years. I still just glance at the screen. And there's a blue line, you know. Uh, and basically, if I go right uh, out here and then on Windsor, and then if I go a mile and a half, you know, uh, east, and then if I go then another mile and a half... Uh, north, then that, that's home. And, and, and on top of all of that, it gives me, it, it tells me how much time it will take me to get home uh, based on the traffic. And that's either seven minutes or eight minutes. <laughs> I mean, without fail. It's not six or nine. It's seven or eight. So I can make plans. It helps me plan because I like plans. Where are we going? Leaders know, where are you going? So I want to know where to go. 
So I'm going to make a plan, and I've got my map, and so it's going to take me seven to eight minutes to get home, and so I'm going to get home, and I'm going to kind of decompress a little bit, and then we're going to have dinner, and then uh, after dinner, uh, we're going to have a little pleasant conversation, and then we're going to walk around Clark Park, and then after that, then we're going to go to the custard cup, and I'm going to enjoy Turtle Sunday. <laughs> That's the plan, all right? So, um, one time... With that plan, I get home and I see my wife, my lovely wife. And she was just very distraught when I got home. She'd had a really terrible, awful, no good, rotten, very bad day. Uh, she teaches, teaches English uh, as a second language. And Something happened, some way of assessing students got changed, some way, somewhere, somehow. I don't even know the details. I just remember the distress that she felt. And, um, well, we weren't able to go to the Clark Park because of that. And then we weren't able to have our pleasant conversation that I wanted to have. And then we weren't able to have the turtle Sunday. What's going on with that? What is up with that? And she made that happen. It was, she did that. She did that. She derailed my plan. I want to talk about that for a minute. Because what I've been learning is that maybe she didn't derail that. Maybe something else happened that derailed that. Maybe she's not responsible for that. Maybe there's some responsibility that I have for that. That's what I want to talk about. In his book, When Sinners Say I Do, Dave Harvey writes, I love my wife... Why do I find it so easy to treat her like I don't? That line probably resonates with me, especially when I think about that scenario, because I found it so very quick to treat my wife like I didn't love her, because my plan got derailed, and my walk around Clark Park got derailed, and you know, my turtle Sunday didn't happen. You see? Why do I find it so easy to treat her like I don't love her? Why is that? What's going on there? What I found is that, well, part of that clue is in Dave Harvey's book. The title of the book. Sinners. (laughs) When sinners say, I do. Take a look at the chart that's on your outlines. I've also got it up on the screen. It's kind of a map. It's a map of what happened that fateful night when I didn't get my turtle Sunday. Starts in the center concerning seeing the sin and weaknesses and flaws of our spouses. You know that, don't you? Your spouse has those. Nobody, nobody ever marries a perfect spouse. Now, I mean, we know this. 
We know this in our heads, but, but in marriage we experience this, don't we? When we're, when we're in a friendship or a courtship phase of our relationship, we just like this person. We enjoy this person. We take pleasure in her. It's a, and that's a good thing. There's nothing bad about that. That's good. And, and in, the, in that courtship friendship season, you know, this person might even say, now, you know, I'm not perfect. You know that, don't you? I'm not. And we nod. We say, of course. I know. I understand. Let's go get a turtle Sunday." And when we can say that with ease because we have not suffered from their imperfection. But in marriage, we live with this person. We live with this person 24-7. And so then you come home one day and you realize that your spouse had a terrible, awful, no good, very bad day. And, and, and now that bad day has splashed onto you. And you weren't planning on that, were you? And it wasn't intentional. It wasn't personal. Your spouse didn't wake up that morning and say, I think I'll make life miserable for him or her tonight. No. Your spouse had a terrible, awful, no good, very bad day. And it left your spouse angry and frustrated and broken and fallen and cranky with their job and their life and because we live in a a broken fallen world and because your spouse is flawed why there's a good chance that your spouse is going to bring that flawedness home to you and you feel caught off guard you feel ambushed you're thinking this is not what i had planned for tonight a pleasant dinner Meaningful conversation, Clark Park, Turtle Sunday. That was the plan, but not anymore. Because your spouse's bad day at work is now splashed onto your day. Your spouse's frustrations, they've now spilled over into your life. And your spouse's irritations have now infected you. And when this happens, there's a huge temptation to think, I shouldn't have to deal with this. I shouldn't. I, I shouldn't have to deal with the aggravation of my spouse's difficult day. I shouldn't have to deal with this. I shouldn't have to deal with my spouse's flaws and imperfections and frustrations. I shouldn't have to deal with my spouse's sin. I shouldn't have to deal with all this. And I shouldn't have to deal with this. You know, because I'm, I'm a pastor, I deal with this at, here. I don't want to go there. I want to clock out. I just want to clock out. And just kind of, you know. And here's the, here's the deal. Whenever you experience what I'm talking about here, whenever that happens, it's never by chance. It's not. It's not by chance. In fact, in fact, your spouse's terrible, awful, no good, very bad day has occurred beneath the watchful, sovereign eyes of an all-knowing, all-powerful God who wants to transform your spouse by His grace. And He has chosen you as His chosen tool, as His ordained minister to pastor and shepherd your spouse so that through you, He can refine your spouse into being the seasoned man or woman of God he wants them to be. So so at that very moment, at that very moment, 
There's an opportunity to minister to your spouse. It's a moment of ministry that's just, it's just come right up. And, but instead, we turn that into a moment of anger. And instead of fulfilling God's purposes, we tend to take personal what was never meant to be personal. And when you take personal what was never meant to be personal, you find yourself thinking that your spouse is your adversary and not your partner. And what's motivating you now is not the spiritual need in your spouse that God, by His grace, has revealed Instead, what's motivating you are your spouse's offenses against you and against your schedule and against your sovereign turtle Sunday. What should be a moment of ministry has become a moment of anger. And instead of wanting to serve my spouse... I find myself wanting to fix my spouse so that I can get back on course to my plan. And then that leads me to settle for situational tactics designed to fix things at the surface without addressing what's happening in the deep. Does that make sense? I love my wife. Why do I find it so easy to treat her like I don't? It's because after turning a moment of ministry into a moment of anger and after personalizing what was never meant to be personal, I end up blaming how I feel about my spouse on the behavior of my spouse. And I assume that since the problem is my spouse's behavior, I just need to fix the behavior. But here's the real problem. The real problem is that I am depending on her behavior to create positive feelings for me. I'm depending on her behavior to make me feel a certain way. I'm depending on her to be kind and loving and peaceable and low maintenance. And when that happens, wow, I love her. But if she comes home irritable and frustrated and emotionally upset, well, then she's derailed my plans and that's been interrupted and, and her behavior's caused me to act this way and her conduct is driving my conduct. Then we're going to have to fix her conduct. And the scriptures would say, not really. Not really. Why do I find it so easy to treat my wife like I don't love her? It has nothing to do with her conduct. It has everything to do with my heart. With my heart. The scriptures would say, if you you want lasting love in your marriage, a marriage between two sinners, love that lasts, has as much to do with the condition of your heart as it does the behavior of your spouse. That's what the Scriptures say. That's what the Scriptures say. The Scriptures talk about the heart in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. One verse. Proverbs 4, 23. It's up on the screen. 
Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Let's say that together as a congregation. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. One more time. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. This is God's word. What does that mean? Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Well, let's start with the word heart. That's the key word in that verse. The word heart. Heart is mentioned uh, over 800 times in the Old Testament alone. It's a word picture. It doesn't refer to the organ that's pumping blood in this context. The Bible uses the word heart to describe the core of who we are. The heart is the hidden source of all human interaction. The heart is the OS, the operating system of your life. Your heart is why you do what you do. Your heart is, in the Hebrew perspective, the heart has to do with your mental, your psychological, your emotional faculties. So your heart, is, your heart feels, your heart thinks, your heart ponders, your heart reflects, your heart judges, it craves, it plots, it plans. Your heart is what drives your life. That's why the verse says, for from it flow the springs of life. Andy Stanley has written a book called Enemies of the Heart. Breaking free from the four emotions that control you. He says the heart seeps into every conversation. It dictates every relationship. Our very lives emanate from the heart. We live, we parent, we lead, we relate, we romance, we confront, react, respond, instruct, manage, problem solve. We save, we spend, we give, we love from the heart. Every arena of life intersects with what's going on in our hearts. Everything, everything in your life passes through your heart to get to wherever it's going. Everything. Here's what Jesus had to say about the heart. Jesus said that both good and evil overflow from the heart. Luke 6.45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So when you get into a heated conversation and you say something, you suddenly stop yourself and you go, where did that come from? Jesus knows exactly where that came from. It came from within the heart. Furthermore, Jesus says that the human heart is a warehouse full of wickedness. Mark 7, 21 and 22, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness. I didn't realize my heart could hold all that. That's that's bigger than Sam's. Think about that for a minute. 
Think about that the next time you're in Sam's. My heart's this big. My heart can hold all that. That's not good. No, it's not. And you know what's worse? You mean there's something worse? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now, worse than all, the prophet Jeremiah spoke of the heart's ability to live in denial of its own destructive capabilities. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And the the answer is no one, no human can understand it. Do we now understand why Solomon says, above all else, guard your heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Secure it. Lock it up. Restrain it. Because your heart has the capacity to do a lot of damage, a lot of damage. And, you know, often I've read this verse, guard your heart, above all else, guard your heart, as if to post sentries protecting my heart from the impurities that might infect it. And, of course, your eyes and your ears are filters, and they do need to, you know, protect What's inside from, but here in these verses, actually, the guards, the guards are guarding my heart from, well, no, my guards are guarding me from my heart. That's it. The guards are securing and restraining and locking up this, this, you know, almost unrestrainable heart from me. And so to say, you know, he came home and he was frustrated and he was irritable and he was grumpy and that made me so mad and if he hadn't come home that way, I wouldn't have. Proverbs 4.23 says, not really. No, the reason you did what you did was not determined because of your spouse. It was determined because of your heart. And the reason why your spouse came home in the way He or she came home was not determined by what that someone else at work did to him or her, but because of their heart, you see. See, what's what's in you is going to come out of you regardless of who's with you. Because it's your heart that determines what you do. It is. So guard your heart. Well, how do we do that? How how do you guard your heart? How do you keep your heart with all vigilance? Well, we we need to take a look at what's going on here in Proverbs chapter 4. Because in Proverbs chapter 4, Proverbs chapter 4 is like this father's counsel, this father's pleading with his son. You know, Proverbs 4, 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. So when we open these verses, we need to be, we need to be thinking our, our heavenly Father's pleading with us. You know, my words, 
Proverbs 4.22, my words are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. So there's this appeal to pay attention to the wisdom of God's word. God's word is our life and God's word is healing, healing. Life and healing are in the wisdom of the Word of God. So we need to pay attention to the Word of God. Let's let's pay attention to a particular word from the Lord. I'm thinking of James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Verses that are so relevant to this scenario, this, this turtle Sunday scenario that I'm talking about here. James says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I wonder how much of my anger is about God. God is about God's name, is about God's word, is about God's fame, about God's kingdom being defiled. I wonder when in the last 30 days I have found myself disturbed to the point of being enraged over the fact that God's will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven as we prayed in the Lord's Prayer moments ago. You know what? I really haven't been that disturbed. I'm sorry to say. No. On the other hand, I have to confess that I have found myself enraged over the numerous and many violations which have occurred within the borders of the kingdom of Randy. Yeah. So James says, be quick to hear, listen, listen. Am I willing to identify and listen and hear what's going on in my heart? What are the contents of my heart? The way to do that is to be quick to listen. So stop and think about what's in your heart before you speak. How easy it is for me to just jump to anger. And anger is a, anger is a, typically a secondary emotion. It's an emotion that we tend to bypass and jump to when we want to overlook a, a, a more primary emotion. Uh, emotion that maybe we don't recognize or don't want to deal with. Emotions like, like, well, I felt ambushed, or I felt confused, or I felt fear, or I felt unloved, I felt ignored, I felt overlooked, I felt abandoned, I felt belittled, I felt defective. Those are hard emotions to deal with, and often we don't want to deal with those emotions, so we just jump straight over to anger. But James already tells, when you jump to anger, that's your anger. That's the anger of man. And the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, what do you want? What do you want? Name the emotion. Bring it out into the light. Why is it that my colleague's success makes me feel like such a failure? Why is it that the thing my boss said bothered me so much why is it renting space in my brain why is it that i expect my spouse to come home happy and healthy from work why is that why is it that i need my spouse's happiness to make me happy what am i afraid of what do i long for 
we need to identify what's going on in our hearts and listen and hear and own that and said, that's my issue. That's in my heart. Much of what we feel has absolutely nothing to do with what they said or did out there. It has to do with what's in our hearts. And, and you know, the reason we don't want to say it out loud is that, well, we lose the excuse, don't we? You know, I, I want to stay mad. I want to stay angry. It makes me feel so righteous. It makes me feel like I'm in control. And yet when we bypass those primary emotions, we tend to jump straight over to the anger of man. And that will not produce God's righteousness. It never does. And so when you can discern between what they said and what's in your heart, that's a step toward becoming spiritually and emotionally healthy. Be quick to hear. Identify What's going on in your heart? And then James says, be slow to speak. Be, now, James does not say, do not speak. James says, be slow to speak. So you need to speak. You need, you need to say it. And I felt unappreciated. Or I felt undervalued at work today. Or I felt like I don't belong. Or, or, you know, I felt like I had plans that got changed and, and you know. Well, that's just information. That's data. That's not a criticism. That's just helpful information. And when your spouse has the courage to you know, identify that emotion, name that emotion, and then speak it? Here's the proper response. The proper response is, I'm glad you told me. Tell me more. How can I pray for us? I'm glad you told me. Tell me more. How can I pray for us? That's what we, that's the proper response. The improper response is, well, you shouldn't feel that way. Or, well, since I've had to put up with it, you should too. Or, well, you just need to grow up. Just grow up. Just be more mature. Or deal with it. Deal with it. How has that helped? Yeah, it doesn't help me either. But tell me more. I'm so glad you told me. How can I pray for you? See? I love my wife. Why do I find it so easy to treat her like I don't? The answer is my heart. My heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. So if I follow that silly smartphone of mine and I follow the blue line home and it takes me seven or eight minutes depending on which direction the wind's blowing, then I've got about that much time to ask questions on my way home 
ask my heart some questions like like first what's in there what's in your heart i'm ready to about ready to come home what's in my heart you know am i angry with anyone did anyone break their promises to me today is my heart well am i worried about anything what am i afraid of what am i afraid of what do i long for is my heart content I wonder how my spouse's heart will be when both of us get home. See, You know, I think I need a longer route. <laughs> I'm going to need more than seven minutes. I'm going to need a heart route, okay? You know, go to Bloomington and back maybe. <laughs> maybe. That's what it takes. And then, you know, if you want to go deeper, if you really want to go deeper, (laughs) here are some questions for you. Here are some questions for you to ask your spouse to ask you. Questions like, do you think I struggle with being open? Do you feel like I have walls? Do you feel like I compare you to other women? Are you ever afraid to talk with me? Do you ever wonder which one of me you're going to come home to? Mm. And if you have the courage to ask those questions, then listen and say, tell me more. I'm so glad you told me. How can we pray about this? You see, love that lasts has as much to do with the condition of your heart as the behavior of your spouse. So keep your heart, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. I wonder what would happen if we could all be equally committed to keeping our hearts. I'm not just in our marriages, but what about our, our, our church family here, our congregation? What if we understood that being a life-changing community, passionately pursuing Christ, meant to give him our diseased and sick hearts and let him heal them? What if we determined never to let the sun set on our anger? What if we guarded our hearts with the same diligence that we used to guard our homes? And why not? Why not, after all? We know what happens when a heart goes unguarded. All of us have felt the aftershock of anger and guilt and greed and jealousy. We should wake up every day of our lives with an eye on the gauges of our hearts. But better yet, can you imagine a generation of children who grow up and are tuned into not only what's going on around them, but what's going on inside of them as well. Imagine a congregation who is so committed on fulfilling God's purposes of being a life-changing community, passionately pursuing Christ, that not just, you know, 350 come on a weekend to hear about their heart, but God's blessing to The Champaign-Urbana East Central Illinois community would be a community of spirit-filled believers who together guard their hearts. And and then they, they, they parent a generation of children 
who grow up with extraordinary sensitivity to the rhythms of their heart. I don't have to tell you the difference that would make in their lives. You know the difference it's made in your life. And now, by God's grace, we have the opportunity to share his transformation with not just our children, but with our community. My goodness. Above all else, guard your heart. For from it flow the springs of life. Amen. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. I want to take just some time and encourage us just just to do some business with God about the condition of our hearts. Can I just ask you some questions? Questions like, is your heart well this morning? How is your heart? Is your heart angry? What's behind that anger? What emotion have I bypassed to get to anger when I need to just really sit in that primary emotion? What is that? Is my heart afraid? What is my heart longing for? Is my heart content? truth of the matter is that God already knows what's in our hearts. He understands your heart. He understands your heart. And he wants to take that and he wants to give you a new heart, a spirit-filled heart. He tells us as such. I will take you from the nations. I will gather you from all the countries. I will bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. In Jesus' name, amen.